0: Are here in the 11FS office in WeWork, Oldgate, London, for episode 68 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today, we bring you Fidelity Goes Crypto, Tether on the Brink, and Liquid Bitcoin. All this and more on today's show. And I am joined by the very jet-lagged, but the very great and How are you?
1: Very good. Very jet-lagged, but very great.
0: <laughs> you managed to be both simultaneously. <laughs> how have you managed that? Uh, but we're not alone. We're joined by Hugh Karp, who is founder of Nexus Mutual. Hugh, how are you? Hi, very good. Good to be here. Good to have you on the show. Let's just jump right in, shall we? Uh, first story comes from the Financial Times. Fidelity launches company to facilitate crypto trading so fidelity has launched a company um, to facilitate cryptocurrency trading for hedge funds endowments and family offices the boston-based investment giant said it would offer institutional investors access to enterprise quality custody and trade execution services for cryptocurrencies such as bitcoin and ethereum a first step towards creating a full platform for the nascent industry Um, and there's a quote from the chairman abigail johnson who says our goal is to make digital Native assets such as Bitcoin more accessible to investors. We expect to continue investing and experimenting over the long term with ways of making this emerging asset class easier for our clients to understand and use. Any thoughts here, Hugh?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's a start. Of more institutional money coming in uh, unfortunately um, there's a lot of hand-holding that needs to happen um, for this money to come in and all the boring compliance stuff needs to kind of be done first and this is a great step on the, on the way to that happening it's probably worth setting some context about who
0: fidelity are I mean if, if you're not in the US uh, it's probably not obvious but for the um, people in the US will of course know this is the they're known for being a consumer brand and that they sell wealth products they sell 401ks so this is who you might you buy stocks and shares, you buy ISAs, but this isn't that part of the organisation that's that's doing anything here. So this isn't retail facing. This is very much facing off to institutions and they've built a specific company for it. But still, the fact that there's a couple of bits here that um, spoke to me, enterprise quality custody.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what really jumped out at me. I mean, I know I realise that custody is really something that needs to be done to um, adhere to the regulations for institutional money to come into this space. But what does custody really mean when you're talking about digitally native? assets? Are they holding private keys for people, in which case those people don't have control over their assets? Is What does enterprise grade mean in this space? Because we know what enterprise grade means in stocks and shares and uh, ETFs and that kind of thing, but it's, it's a completely different skill set and it's a completely different set of requirements.
2: Yeah, I mean, my understanding of it is that they're doing multi sigs in cold storage wallets in vaults. That's to me, that's the way you've got to go. But And and institutions. Why do we have to go that way? Is it just because key management is so critical when it comes to crypto?
0: Because I I talk to other tier one custodian types, and they say, "Well, you can't do that. Like that doesn't allow you to have liquidity to be trading. And uh, if 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 all you ever do is uh, lock up and hide your keys, how are you ever going to have liquidity?"
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I I, I think it, it fits naturally with what some institutions are used to, and they can get some comfort with it to start with. And so perhaps a good, it's a good thing to start with to learn. I mean, half of this thing is a learning process and hand-holding, and that's probably what Fidelity's service really is. Mm, uh, half of it is hand-holding. Well done, Fidelity, for this stuff. And I love this um, statement about
0: uh, ways to make the emerging asset class easier for our clients to understand and use. Um, I think there's one there's the credibility halo of its fidelity doing it but two they talk about digital assets and uh, digitally native assets. The language they're using is really interesting which suggests they're probably not going to stop at Bitcoin and Ethereum but um, I imagine they're probably not going to veer towards shitcoins they're going to veer in a different direction and this is an interesting way to test and learn what the future of crypto might look like. Um, But whilst you're looking at the future uh, there's something going on right now according to Bloomberg. uh, Why Crypto traders are so worried about Tether. Um, Zinni, Sarah, do you want to take a pop-up? Just reminder for the listeners, what's Tether and why are traders worried about it?
1: Yes. um, Well, if there's anyone out there that hasn't heard of Tether, this is a very quick explainer. Tether is meant to be pegged one-to-one with the dollar, which effectively means that people will send their US dollars into a bank account owned by Tether, a commercial bank account owned by Tether, at which point the Tether people because there are people behind Tether. The Tether people, it's not just an algorithm. sounds like an alien race, (laughs) the Tether people. (laughs) Pegged one-to-one with humans. Um, They will issue USDT in return. And this is supposedly stable. Tether, the people behind Tether, the company, the entity behind Tether, which also is the entity behind Bitfinex, as I said earlier, hold on to your tinfoil hats, people, um, have not been able... To be audited yet. I'm trying and to choose my so own. And we've talked about carefully. this a number of
0: times on the show. In that uh, there are there is some controversy out there about whether or not Bitfinex and Tether have a relationship um, that is. Above board um, they 've strenuously denied that I think it 's important to say, um, and there are a lot of uh, allegations that come from anonymous bloggers um, and there 's been lots of questions about will there be an audit and um, have any auditors been invited in, or have they not gone in for various reasons but what 's interesting is that was all sort of six months ago, um, but the price action's today hugh so so what 's happened since? Is there a different worry now? Is it less of an issue that the money's really there and a different issue there's maybe not the question of does tether really have the dollars? Somewhere in a bank account that represent these tokens, it's what is it?
2: Well, I, mean, I think the new thing here is that they're they're losing their banking relationships um and so people are worried that they can't get their money out and so they can't actually redeem their crypto tether dollar for a real US dollar in a bank account so it's liquidity risk well yeah and it's and, and yeah it's, it's liquidity and i guess credit risk to a certain degree because um like um how can you get your money out i mean i i tether seems to operate in someone described it as the nooks and crannies of the international banking world okay. um and which is probably a fair enough description um cuz there's no kind of aml kyc on things and they're unregulated and, and so they need to maintain that banking relationship, and they've they've lost this recently. HSBC's shut down withdrawals. I'm not sure on the exact situation um, of the last day or two, but um, but who knows if they're able to re-establish another relationship. Well, and this comes
0: at a time in which uh, Circle, a, a regulated sort of uh, broker dealer and uh, sort of trading venue uh, and OTC desk. With a bit license that have got every stamp under the sun, um, that have, uh, launched, uh, their, their USDC. Uh, which is a tethered... um, So they're saying, "What you buy one of these tokens and we really do have the dollars in the bank account and here's the regulator. I mean,
1: So on that point, there is a a word for this already, isn't it? It's called e-money. And if you're regulated, you're regulated with an e-money license. In the UK you would be. um, Yeah, and uh, and Europe. uh,
0: And uh, in in the the US US. you'd be a money transmitter. Yes. Um, But but I guess the technology they're using is slightly different. So if I was an e-money issuer, I would have a database and I'd be moving numbers around my own database, whereas this is moving tokens that can... Can theoretically, sit on some different type of platform that I may not operate all of. So there's a technological and architectural difference, um, but there isn't a legal difference strictly if you're doing KYC AML, if you're doing all of the regulation stuff, which to and your yeah, the point. Closed
2: you- loop. Yeah. with everyone you know everyone that could possibly own it as well yeah. so this is your point Hugh, which is tether didn't
0: always um, seem to comply with that um, but tether was widely used as a way to have the equivalent of us dollar on crypto to crypto exchanges so if i was on an exchange that didn't do fiat to crypto if i couldn't take my euros or my dollars to that exchange i could take tether there and i could buy whatever the heck i wanted or if i was worried about price volatility in theory i could go back into tether and hedge my risk against a volatile day. Yeah, so I mean, there was clearly a-,
1: a massive demand, wasn't there? Yeah. For a fiat on off ramp, It's it's obvious.
2: Well, just a crypto-backed, um, a crypto stable coin that you can trade within the crypto world. I mean, the on-ramp and off-ramp is obviously big as well, but you can actually separate those things.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch where this goes because, of course, Paxos, um, I saw a, a chart from Colin G. Platt, uh, GSAS himself, um, showing that Paxos, who a bit like Circle, uh, have a, a trust company, a licensed trust company in New York, uh, have launched their own uh, sort of pegged one to one with the US dollar um, stablecoin and that is now trading at a premium it is trading at a dollar fifteen per dollar. Uh, which which seems kind of odd but it also tells you about how worried people might be in the market Um, but speaking of people and markets and worry um, the story comes from The Guardian Um, Nouriel Rubini: blockchain isn't about democracy and decentralization it's all about greed Uh, for those unfamiliar Nouriel Rubini is famous for having uh, quote unquote predicted um, the financial crisis um, and has been very very anti-crypto for quite some time. Um, Sarah, can you take us through this one? Uh, who's or Why is he angry? And, and what happened recently to make this newsworthy?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. In fact, uh, GSAS himself and myself just published something yesterday, which is Monday for those listening on Thursday. So there was a hearing... That threw
0: you, so- didn't it? Thinking about what day of the week it is with jet lag. <laughs> with jet
1: lag, yeah. <laughs> what time is it? Um, there's going to be many different answers when you hear this question. What time is it? So Nuriel Roubini is an economist at New York University and he, along with uh, Peter van Valkenburg from Coin Center, was presenting to the Senate at the end of last week. And there was a, there was obviously a for and against. Coin Center is very pro crypto. I think it's fair to say politely so. And Nuriel Roubini is not. So the criticism about his stance, um, which is in uh, the, dr article that gsas himself and i wrote is um it kind of did the skeptics a disservice actually it was very very emotional it was poorly referenced and actually threw the baby out with the bathwater. a lot of what he said was right in there the the greed the icos all that craziness he was completely right about that um but also slagging off the beloved blockchain just seemed a bit a bit O T T. Well
0: he just um, seemed to be like really upset and emotional and, yeah. and yelling yeah. in, in in a position where people have lost money, Uh, genuine scams and fraud have happened and there's a real opportunity for uh, the technologies like tokens, like crypto assets, like especially DLT, to make a a big big difference. And his criticisms appear to have um, gained him attention rather than focused people's minds on the actual criticisms.
1: Yeah, and it's it's strange because it seems a little bit self-serving comments like a few self-serving white men there are hardly any women or minorities allowed in the space allowed wow (laughs) interesting we've had all-female blockchain insider podcasts that probably didn't mention at the time and um, maybe we should be a bit more diverse I don't know but there was just a lot of comments in there that just seemed a bit lacking nuance
0: yeah and and I think it's a shame when if that's what the uh, mainstream media gets to pick up Uh, If that's what the community ends up talking about for a week instead of um, some of the considered thoughts. And um, then I know uh, Vitalik Buterin has politely offered to uh, debate him, um, and Nuriel is turning down any opportunity for any host. Um, Mm. Shout out to anybody who has contacts for both of them. I'd be happy to host that conversation. Um, I find Vitalik, uh, whilst he is an optimist for the future of crypto, he's also intellectually honest.
1: Oh, very. Yeah. uh,
0: and, And I think that's what this space probably needs a lot more of is is honest discourse yes we love the trolling and it's all very funny but like you know when people are losing all of their money and livelihoods and considering things horrific like suicide because they've lost all of their money there are human consequences to this stuff and we've got to be uh, we've got to. i think it's time for crypto to grow up
1: yep I completely agree. And if you go on Twitter and, you know, crypto Twitter, obviously, as you say, is very, very funny. Um, steer clear, just get out the popcorn. Um, but then you have on the skeptic side, you have a person who is presenting at the Senate who, if you go on his Twitter account, is behaving exactly the same way. Yeah. And crypto needs it's to grow clever. up. To me, it's very
2: clever. It's calculated. It it wasn't just him being emotional in front of a Senate committee. If you read his entire testimony, it was basically the same thing. It was a it was a superficial rant of a testimony and something that I didn't think would be. Qualified to be put in front of a senate committee but it was and it's gained a lot of traction again we're talking about it now um and so to me he's probably achieved the goal that he um that he has and there are valid concerns underlying what he's saying absolutely it was just um in my mind delivered in an inappropriate way for, a, for the committee hearing that um that he was at but i think sarah's point was
0: there are other people who can make those valid concerns and let's have that debate um, and I think that's, to me, the takeaway here. Um, but speaking of taking away the next story, um, it comes from Coindesk.com. SpankChain loses $40,000 in a hack due to a smart contract bug. Uh, Hugh, what's SpankChain?
2: Well, everyone loves talking about SpankChain, really. Yeah. Um, it's It's got a, there's a real use case underneath there. A um, um, real use case underneath in, their booty token. Yeah, underneath <laughs> their booty token. That's right. Um, I mean, yeah. Everyone loves talking about it even more so when their booty contract had a re-entrancy problem. So um, <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we we'll just might leave that one there. But um I guess the the thing the thing is that um obviously um porn stars have problems accessing um funds and they get their banking account shut down. So there's a there's a real use case there of being able to give them a higher return or share of the the work that um, the income from the work that they do and being able to access those funds. So there's a real use case underneath what they're doing um they also probably have the best um branding and <laughs> recognition within this space Do you know
1: i went to i've just come back from san francisco uh san francisco blockchain week shout out to you guys if you're listening um there was disappointing lack of swag actually at the spank chain stall. sorry to interrupt uh, i just had no, to no, say no. that <laughs> spank no. chain if you're listening i want swag
2: but, but yeah the sorry the interesting thing here is that they got hacked but then the hacker gave the money back um, and also offered to do a free audit of one of, I um, mean's related products, um, Moloch DAO. So, um, like, to me, I mean, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a community out there that kind of, you know, it's kind of that open source community. I'll go and do some work. I'll, I'll prove that I'm pretty good. And, you know, they'll get some kudos for it publicly. But, but also that they kind of do it to prove a point. Yeah, there is... A-
0: I don't know how much I dislike hacking something and then, in an open source sense, giving you the money back and showing you how I did it. I think at a larger scale that 's really disruptive and really dangerous at this smaller scale, or even done at a smaller scale than this, you, you have to hack enough for somebody to pay attention, but at the same time, like if you then altruistic and white hat about what you do with it after the fact it 's a good lesson learned and hopefully like, there is a broader problem here of hacks in the community and a need for good opsec generally, both for the individual for institutions um, and and of course also for for people uh, developing smart contracts. If you build an ERC-20, this is a very thin standard. It doesn't uh, insist that you do too much. There are a series of good practices around how you build an ERC-20, but the core of it itself is very functional. It, it, you know, the non-functional requirements around an ERC-20 are massive. The functional ones are tiny. Um, here, here, create some users, create some tokens. Here's a wallet balance, bang, here's some tokens. Like The ERC-20 is so noddy that everything you do around that from an operational governance and OPSEC standpoint is really key.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, a bit of a self-serving comment here, but, um, <laughs> our, our, our first product at Nexus Mutual is actually smart contract cover. So we'll, if we'll provide, um, a kind of claims payout in, in events like this. So did, if, if Spank Chain was to buy cover on their smart contracts and this happened, if we, if, if we would launch at this stage, we would have paid out on this event. So it's a space where you know, we need more security practices and more auditors and stuff, but, um, and things will develop ob- over time. Maybe you need a blockchain application firewall as well. Who
0: knows? Um, but speaking of which, this episode is brought to you by R3. Uh, Corda is the only blockchain platform that removes costly friction in business transactions. That's hard to say, and I don't know if they're the only one, um, but it, it does enable institutions to transact directly using smart contracts while ensuring the highest levels of privacy and security. Um, <laughs> I love this one. Corda was recently described as compelling but strange. I, I, I think that's very true of Todd MacDonald. Um, and and i they tend to agree. It's certainly compelling. Um, and I think it was Gideon Greenspan that did that review. is a really good blog post. Uh, he kind of breaks down the quarter architecture and he just goes, it's really, really compelling, but it's really, really strange. Um, and it's, it, it's a really good technical sort of teardown of everything that it works uh, and how it works. Um, so R3 built the worlds on the blockchain platform suited to um, businesses in every industry, they say, um, with 100% interoperability between the open source and enterprise version. It's truly unique. Um, <laughs> you can unlock the power of a blockchain for your business. Head on over to r3.com for more on the Corda platform and request a free 60 day trial of Corda Enterprise. Uh, remember free trials on software?
1: 30 days, not enough.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's value right there. Um, speaking of value, um, for coming from the Telegraph.co.uk, Barclays have halted work on their cryptocurrency trading project. The investment bank put together a senior team earlier in the year to look at how it could uh, incorporate the trading of digital assets into its market business. Uh, the initiative, however, has been put on ice. Chris Tyra, the bank's former head of energy trading, moved into a full-time role, leading the so-called digital assets project earlier in the year, but left the bank in September after the decision was uh, taken to shelve the cryptocurrency trading project. Uh, Barclays' chief uh, executive, Jess Staley, told the bank's annual general meeting in May that Barclays remained very wary of the regulatory and compliance issues surrounding the asset class. He said, there is a possibility of cryptocurrencies being used
2: for activities that the bank wants to have no part of. Oh Jesus! Jess yes, just yes. just! unfortunately, this is indicative of the of all the financial institutions there's a there's a massive opportunity here for crypto and they see it, and one side of the organization sees it and then they've got the compliance side of the organization going no, 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 run as far away as possible um and so it goes up to the board level and and they have to make a decision about which side of the fence they fall on and so uh, you know maybe it'll it'll be some time before they flip back the other way, but um they'll they should get there.
0: This, to me, comes down to education and controls. Um, education, senior executives want to run away from anything that looks like risk. Nobody wants to be the next cautionary tale with the next big fine, and they've just been through a decade of having had those happen. Uh, and the controls, that the typical way to respond to risk was to hire lots of risk people and to put in place lots of processes. And I would argue that reg tech has a bigger role to play here, that actually crypto can be part of the solution rather than just the problem. And that requires requires education and understanding and nuance rather than blanket statements. I, I, I dislike um, kind of binary decision making, black or white thinking in, in this idea that it's all terrible or it's all brilliant. Uh, there is nuance here and I fear it's being missed.
1: Mm, and it's, you know, risk versus return as well, isn't it? So sorry to bring up price because I know it's always the least interesting part, as we say on this show. But um, towards the end of last year, they might have been a little bit more bullish on that trading desk, right?
0: Well, yeah, uh, but actually, a lot of um, I think what people see in this space is not just the the price; it's the spreads, and it's the it's all of the fact that it's um, an area with low liquidity that you can uh, it, a half decent trader can figure out what they're doing relatively quickly and find profit. I think the the genuine question of uh, could you do this at scale, or is this always going to be a small scale activity inside a big bank, is a fair question at this point. Um, but just look at what's happening with Fidelity um, if there are are family offices at least and um, hedge funds that are active in this space then there's a client base that needs serving and it's incumbent I think on large institutions to educate themselves more and I do think there are people in those institutions that would probably have tore their hair out um, at at these sorts of statements um, and that there are nuanced things that you could be doing. Mm. All right, next story comes from Coindesk.com. Liquid goes live. Uh, Blockstream's first Bitcoin sidechain has finally arrived. Sarah, sidechains, Liquid, Blockstream.
1: <laughs>
0: Buzzwords. <laughs>
1: Buzzwords. <Help>. Buzzwords are <laughs> plenty. Um, so sidechains are effectively where you'd lock up some coins on one chain and, and transfer them over to another chain, which is kind of linked to...
0: So locking up chain. coins. So uh, send it to a wallet and so then yeah. you've got a multi-sig well, to get so it.
1: this is... Potentially, yes, or you would, um, use an intermediary as Blockstream has done. Yeah. So just skip to the, um, the plot twist of the story. Blockstream came out a while ago and said they were going to do some sidechains and it's going to be called Liquid and it'll be very exciting, completely decentralized, et cetera. And actually what we've ended up with is something, an intermediary in the middle. Um, of the main chain and the side chains.
0: So what you effectively get is you've got the Bitcoin blockchain. I can move Bitcoins from wallet one to wallet two using Bitcoin, but actually if I send it to wallet three, wallet three is an intermediary. Wallet three locks up those Bitcoins and then allows me to move an equivalent set of coins on this other chain over here that might have less actors
2: that might be faster, cheaper, or whatever else.
1: Yeah, might have fewer miners, for example, less security. Who knows?
2: Yeah, it's kind of a, federation it's kind of it's just a it's just a different group of people um uh validating the transactions really and, and and it probably has a really good use case between all the different exchanges that are actually operating on them to be able to transfer um, value quickly between the two and increase liquidity on the exchanges. I mean, it may, it, may, it does make a lot of sense, but it does come with security trade offs, as with everything in this space. It's pretty like making that decentralization versus security trade off. Um, that's versus speed. Um, trade off is, is a big thing.
3: But it,
0: everything in engineering is always a trade off. Um, there's there's nothing new there. I guess what's interesting about this is um the fact that it's live. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the fact that as well there was a really nice graphic they did where um, in order to um, kind of get the confirmations out of bitcoin you were requiring 102 confirmations before you could lock up the bitcoin or before you could remove the bitcoin from that intermediary which is a high level of security Mm -hmm. considering typically most wallets will let you on would spend after six confirmations
2: uh, within bitcoin so there's i think it's got something to do with the block reward being only spendable after 100 blocks okay i think that's something that under there that's probably do the technical stuff Indeed. And I guess that's that performance of trade-off versus security.
0: They've clearly been working on this for a long time. They've got a lot of interesting investors. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, do we get any real take-up of this? Will the exchanges see this as valuable? And you've got to imagine that there's um, there's some people that will. Alrighty, next story um, comes from Coindesk.com. The CFTC chair, um, crypto dad himself, uh, Christian Carlo, says institutional investors will help the crypto markets mature. Um, and He said, we've still got a long way to go. There's a lot of issues in some of these spot exchanges, a lack of transparency, a conflict of interest, a lack of systems and safeguards, and that's a concern. But like all of these things, it takes time to mature, and with the movement of more institutional investors into the space, I think we'll see that. He also said there's a lot of scammers, a lot of fraudsters, and when they find them, they're uncovering them and they're taking them out. Um, And their authority in the area has been confirmed by two federal courts. That last part really stands out, like, holy land grab, um, that's that's theirs now. Two federal courts have said, it's, it's mine, it's my ball, I'm having it, I'm kicking ass, this will mature, there's problems, but we're cleaning it up, is kind of how I read it. Do you agree with the general thrust of this, that it, that the markets are maturing?
2: Yeah, they will. They've got a way to go yet. And the institutional money comes in, and it's a bit of a catch twenty-two about which one goes first, right? Um, but it it'll happen, and um, I don't know. Probably the next bull run will be driven by institutional money coming in, but you know that that may that Who knows when that's going to happen? Christian Cole has always been very thoughtful in this space. Um, he,
0: he talks about first do no harm, uh, and I think some of their responses from the CFTC have been very targeted. They've even got their own podcast now. Check those guys out. Um, so uh, they they've done. They've done a, an awful lot in this space, um, so it's it's uh, worth worth watching them because I think if this institutional money does come, it's going to need uh, kind of that regulatory certainty.
1: Yes, true. It's also worth noting that they are US regulators, and mm-hmm. we are sitting in the UK, and we have the FCA. Well, we don't really
0: have equivalents to the CFTC um, and the SEC, and and you've kind of got the Financial Conduct Authority, which would probably be like uh, the Consumer Protection Service of Mm. Bureau meets the uh, meets the SEC, but they also sort of a little bit look after MiFID for on behalf of Europe as well. Um, they have a, an interesting regulatory perimeter. I and mean, you get that throughout Europe as well, because you've got the European Securities Markets Authority, ESMA, um, which is, which the UK is still technically under the jurisdiction of uh, for a little bit longer. Uh, it, this, this regulatory overlap is an interesting space. And in the US, it's, it's increasingly interesting. But.
1: Yeah. And we've spoken about this before that they obviously want to be leaders in the space. Um, because if you set regulatory standards, then it's a lot easier for other. Um, jurisdictions to adopt them and given that this is by definition global asset class i'm using inverted commas there sort of makes sense to have one global uh, set of regulator regulations right
0: indeed it does all right well let's hope that we get more maturity in crypto and um, some stories we didn't have time to cover uh, from coindesk and uh, constantinople nears ethereum's next hard fork is on track for this year going to be interesting to see if they pull that off um Another one from Coindesk. North Dakota securities regulator issues cease and desist against three ICOs. I didn't know North Dakota had its own securities regulator. Um, uh, go on, North Dakota. Um, you've got. <laughs> um, and then Coindesk again. Um, fake news site used uh, New Zealand prime minister to pump a Bitcoin startup. There's a headline. Well done, headline writer. And lastly, uh, from Coindesk uh, Wealth list reveals China's 13th biggest crypto billionaires. Nothing like being your own bank. When you're put on a list of rich people. Um, Alright, Tweet of the Week comes from Elon Musk? Blue Tick? Question mark? It's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet! It's the tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. right. um, this one actually comes from Tyler Florence, who somehow has got a blue tick and has changed his name to uh, Elon Musk, Um, and he said, I'm giving away 5,000 Bitcoin to all of the community. I decided to make the biggest crypto giveaway in the world for all of my readers who use Bitcoin. I left the post, director of Tesla, thank you for all your support. Participate in giveaway. Here's a link.
1: To send him Bitcoin. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? I have give a shout out to colin g platt at this point because he uh called out was one of the people actually that called out at jack jack dorsey um on twitter and uh, got banned his account got suspended what because he called out jack he called out jack for allowing this kind of scam on his platform yeah um with a blue tick
0: and colin got banned for calling out the scam
1: Colin got banned for calling out the scam. He added Jack in Twitter, yeah. God, so. he lives
0: near a field. He's sassy as they come. He's so sassy. Oh,
2: Jesus. <laughs> what are we going to do with that guy? Uh, any <laughs> thoughts on this one? Oh, I don't know. I just... Uh- I think there's easy solutions there, and I just wish they'd put them in place.
0: It's kind of sad, isn't it? Um, And and this is why crypto has a bad name. Uh, This is why we can't have nice things, people. All right, that's it um, for the news section, but it's not all. We have an interview coming for you. Uh, I caught up with Blythe Masters, the CEO of Digital Asset, on the main stage of Blockchain Live. Here it is started. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Simon Taylor. I am the co-founder of 11FS. Uh, I also run a podcast called Blockchain Insider. If any of you want to find out more about Blockchain Insider, the podcast, uh, just head out uh, to the right hand, to your right-hand side and you'll find out more about us there. But it's not about me today. I'm joined by, well, somebody you might have heard of. I'm joined by the one and only Blythe Masters, Blythe, the CEO of Digital Asset. How are you?
3: Very well. Thank you, Simon.
0: Thank you for being here. So, Blythe, I'm um, been an interesting uh, couple of years since you got started in uh, the whole blockchain space. But why don't you just remind our audience, for those who may live under a rock, uh, who is Digital Asset and and what do you guys do? Uh,
3: Thank you for that. Yes, it has been a a pretty interesting uh, few years. Uh, This is a company that was uh, created in 2014. I joined as CEO in early 2015, having uh, recently left uh, a very long 27 plus year career uh, deep in the bowels of financial services working for one, one of the world's giant uh, global banks, JP Morgan. Um, when I first made that, uh, that move, I used to have to explain myself on a you know, pretty much uh, hour by hour basis. Uh, there was a large community that thought that I had gone mad again. Uh, And and actually there were a a few headlines that I had gone off to start uh, trading Bitcoin uh, for a living. And um, well, that's not in fact what we do at Digital Asset, uh, although it took a a while to persuade people of uh, of that fact. Uh, What we are uh, today uh, is uh, 180 or so people. Uh, We operate uh, from headquarters uh, in New York City but have offices all over the world, uh, Zurich, Budapest, uh, here in London. Uh, Sydney uh, and Hong Kong, as well as New York. Uh, and we are uh, an enterprise software uh, company uh, that builds what I would call blockchain-inspired uh, solutions uh, for enterprise.
0: Blockchain-inspired solutions for enterprise. I like being inspired. And speaking <laughs> of inspired, that creates um, uh, it creates a lot of debate, right? Because everybody in the world will tell you what you're doing is not a real blockchain. But... Um, Let's talk a little bit about the value of what a lot of people have started terming distributed ledger tech. And there was the meme a few years ago of we like the distributed ledger, but not the blockchain, or we like um, the tech, but not the currency. Help separate that for me a little bit and help um, focus in on you know, what is it you guys do and what problem do you solve? It?
3: Yeah. Well, I think one of the challenges in this uh, space, certainly uh, early on, uh, was that the, the genesis uh, of, of the innovation here uh, was, was spawned out of uh, disillusionment in the aftermath of the financial crisis and a vision of the world that could be very different than, than the way it is or was, uh, without intermediaries, uh, peer-to-peer transactions, no adult supervision, uh, and no uh, uh, trust uh, in a system uh, that could break. And... That led to, uh, if anything, uh, it was almost a, a political or a philosophical belief in a way that things should be, and that uh, belief or that aspiration uh, has its merits, and its detractors and its supporters. But at the end of the day, that isn't a technology necessarily. Yeah, it's a world. View. Where, yeah, it's a worldview exactly. Um, and that complicated things a lot at the beginning because uh, you, you start having conversations about, you know, what a proper blockchain is and isn't, and, and so on. We take a very different perspective, which is that uh, our customers are enterprise, uh, largely initially uh, in the financial services space, but actually much more uh, broad, broadly than that well into healthcare, insurance and other areas today. Uh, And they have real-life problems that have to be solved. So we start, uh, when we think about technology, with a problem that needs to be solved. And then we design the technology in a fashion that most effectively, securely, efficiently uh, solves that problem. And if that means diverging the design from what a proper blockchain might be, then that's what you have to do in order to solve for those constraints. So... If you think about uh, the original uh, design of the uh, public uh, blockchains, Bitcoin, Ethereum and the like, uh, they were designed for a very specific purpose, uh, peer-to-peer transfer uh, of tokenized... uh uh yeah, it's either
0: peer-to-peer money. electronic cash or you're looking exactly. at building a world computer, which is a very different design than solving for specific problems in financial markets. Exactly. And so, what specific problems in financial markets were there to be solved? You've worked in the industry for a number of years. You have an experience, a massive amount of credibility in it. What did you see that you just thought this is fixable if we didn't just build another centralized FMI to solve it? You know what was different?
3: Well, the the problems that we solve basically boil down at their at their core to two things. Number one is a, a persistent problem uh, with what I'll call I'm not sure it's a word, sorry. No. Data siloization. <laughs> or maybe just data silos. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, widespread in financial services, but in enterprise generally. The way that data is maintained, stored, managed, and worked on uh, is in distinct, separate silos, uh, which by definition are uh, vulnerable to, uh, to error prone, uh, they diverge. Uh, And the result is that you have to spend a lot of effort and energy reconciling things so that something that should, by definition, be consistent has to be reconciled in order to ensure that it is.
0: But the important point is there are good reasons, either economically or for regulation and uh, and kind of governance purposes, why that isn't just centralized. Because that's the common criticism of blockchain is, well, why don't you just centralize all the things? But actually... There are reasons why you can't.
3: Yeah. So 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 why why do people silo data? Well, because they have a fiduciary responsibility to maintain their books and records and the account records of their customers, and not simply depend on someone else to do that for you. Because that blind trust uh, is anywhere between commercially unwise and actually outright illegal, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the jurisdiction and the, and the context in which you're talking about it.
0: So we end up with this problem in which many people have a view of the truth. And as my good friend Richard Crook, um, from, uh, formerly of RBS, who's just spun out his own company, used to say, uh, you and anybody viewing the market ends up like the person with two clocks. You can't tell the time. And actually, there aren't two clocks, there's 22 clocks, and they're all trying to transact with each other. Or
3: 22,000, I guess.
0: Uh, Indeed. So, um, but let's talk about the the kind of the the timeline development, because 2015 was the year of the blockchain headline. Uh, Everybody was going to put a blockchain on it, um, and there were the memes that followed. We're here in 2018. Gartner just put... Blockchain and DLT at the bottom of its hype cycle. In other words, it's in the uh, trough of disillusionment. Uh, does that mean we've all wasted our time coming to this conference? Is are we are we dead? Is, is it gone?
3: Well, that means there's three thousand pretty pretty stupid people. Yeah. Out there. Um,
0: and we're, no, I we're chief among them. Clearly, yeah, and, and
3: we're leading the charge. Um, well, look, I'm not feeling depressed this morning, so I guess that's a, that's a good a good sign. Um, the fact of the matter is is that. Uh, there there was a tremendous amount of hype, uh, and there still is to an extent, let's be honest, uh, around a a technology that has excited people uh, because of its ability to uh, change the way that data architecture works and all of the things that flow from that. A lot of headlines ensued, and the the nature of these headlines was that it it was talk about talk or talk about perhaps doing something in the future or talk about an experiment that might prove something. And, and of course... um, that feels unsubstantial because it isn't talk about something that's been done or something that has been achieved. The reality is is that the hard work began then and the hard work is ongoing now and companies like mine and uh, many others around the world have had to devote extraordinary uh, man years and woman years of effort uh, and capital and resources into addressing the weaknesses of the original uh, design for application in the real world for enterprise on a larger scale. So how to address uh, the ability to share instead of silo data, but without compromising confidentiality or privacy, which is a legal requirement. How to achieve throughput and capacity, how to integrate with other systems. This takes time uh, and effort uh, and energy, and some of it isn't that sexy in 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 the sense of innovation. A lot of it is just solid, hard work. And, and that's why you're reading less headlines about it because, you know, it's, you know, man works hard at computer screen, doesn't sell uh, papers.
0: It works for Gary Vaynerchuk. He's all about the hustle. But, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I think there's, there's something to be said for um, getting on rolling your sleeves up and it isn't that exciting. But what needs to be done then to maintain the levels of investment at this point? Because if we're, if we're in that point where we've rolled our sleeves up, we're doing the actual doing, real things are being built then, you know, where's the the light at the end of the tunnel? What what needs to happen to sustain that investment?
3: Well, I, I think it's it's true uh, as with any technology, the technology needs to be used uh, in a commercial manner where the return on the investment and the technology makes sense. It's pretty simple. So, all, the amount invested in terms of effort, dollars, uh, uh, complication, change needs to be justified by the end result. And you need to see that actually being uh, being delivered.
0: Can you give me an example business case? So if you were back in your old job sitting in a bank and somebody came to you with shiny new tech, as probably happens 10 times a day, what are you looking for sitting in the bank or sitting in any enterprise? What is it you need them to tell you in order for it to move forward? What are their What are their concerns to be able to deliver a new thing? And, and what's their business case?
3: Actually, I, I want to correct them presumption in your question there, because there's a pretty interesting thing that happened in the last decade in, in banking, which is in the aftermath of uh, the financial crisis, um, an extraordinary amount of money was spent on technology uh, and change. But none of it was what you described as shiny new technology. Almost all of it was um, reactive Defensive, uh, responding to new regulatory requirements. Very often, it, with such tight deadlines that there was no opportunity to, to do what you might have done if you you had a chance to start with a clean sheet of paper and design it. Like, it was tacking things on. It was you know adding things on with string. You know extracting re- new reports out of old systems that were never uh, designed that way. We lost an entire decade of uh, innovation in the financial sector at exactly the time that the the world of technology was exploding at extraordinary rates of change. And we're just beginning to see the end of that where there is just about, not everywhere, but there's just about enough uh, at the margin investment dollars to flow into innovation. And this is coming at the same time as enormous threats to the competitive uh, moat, if you will, that has traditionally surrounded uh, banking and financial services. So we're now beginning to see uh, the opportunity for enterprise uh, within financial services and elsewhere to truly uh, begin to invest. And it's tackling the second part of the problem that I mentioned. week We're solving two problems. One is data silos and all the efficiency that gets um, uh, enhanced and improved when you no longer silo data and no longer going to waste money reconciling things. The second is around um, essentially developer productivity and ease of innovation. And it's the, the promise uh, that uh, blockchain or, or DLT offers is not just about shared, replicated, synchronized golden source of truth, but it's the ability to orchestrate workflows across that, uh, those databases uh, in such a way that you um, enable a, a developer to focus not on the underlying infrastructure, but abstract away from all of that and focus on, the automation and the modeling of the business process. And that's where the upside, not just the cost reduction, but where the opportunity to build new businesses resides.
0: Business processes across organizational boundaries.
3: Across organizational ba- boundaries, but also within them. So think um, there are many internal use cases uh, for smart contract uh, languages where, for example, you want to have um, clear distinction between... A finance organization and operations, a control, a risk, uh, regulatory and reporting uh, organization just within uh, one organizational family or between legal entity A versus legal entity B, which are subject to different and distinct ring fencing or capital or collateral or liquidity requirements. So yes, uh, the opportunity to orchestrate across independent entities is an enormous one, but the uh, need to orchestrate within uh, entities is actually almost as large uh, uh, and interesting of an opportunity.
0: Very interesting. So we've we've defined wherever we need to do manage data and workflows across those silos as being the core value. But there are many projects out there that will offer you the ability to do that. So how do I tell a good one from a bad one? What should I be looking for as a buyer of those services? Should I be looking for um, a big-name brand that I've heard of in the past? Should I be looking for certain products and features? What is it that makes um, you different from somebody else to somebody else? What are those features?
3: So, I mean, this, is, this, is, this will be true whether you're talking about a DLT vendor or a vendor of, of any other technology. What, what you want to look for uh, in a partner... Um, is a management team who's got a track record of delivery, uh, a combination of business sense uh, with technology uh, chops, um, a product uh, that has uh, passed the rudimentary uh, evaluations uh, necessary to establish uh, its credibility. So something that isn't just PowerPoint but is there, has been subjected to uh, uh, independent audits, has been evaluated by more entities than just its uh, creator, um, has been compared and contrasted with others, and, is, and especially that has enterprise quality features. And that last latter is one of the things that is hard to find Today in the blockchain space.
0: Define enterprise quality features.
3: Well, so it's a, it's not a sh- it's not a short list, um, and and much of it, by the way, is not unique to distributed ledger technology. In fact, you know, it's uh, much of it is, uh, is is pretty basic. So you need to have the ability to scale uh, and offer the kind of throughput and capacity uh, at with stability uh, that are needed for financial uh, use cases, enterprise use cases. So not transactions per second but tens of thousands of transactions per second and the ability to cope with peaks uh, that occur naturally in uh, in market activity. You need uh, to have the kind of recoverability, high availability, disaster recovery mechanisms that ensure uh, the preservation of uh, data uh, and the ability to rehydrate systems once they come down within certain periods of time. You need to absolutely be compliant with every dimension of uh, the law. Uh, And and, uh, in in highly regulated industries, whether it's healthcare, financial services, the law is extremely onerous in terms of uh, data privacy, confidentiality, uh, data domicile uh, restrictions. Uh, You cannot simply rely on encrypting something but sharing it willy-nilly with everybody. If If your solution is that everybody's data resides on everybody's server... Um, but that's okay because it's encrypted and so only the people uh, uh, with the decryption. Uh, so, so between the lines then, so even things.
0: if I replicate my data to everybody and use zero knowledge proofs, to the law I may be non-compliant yeah, and absolutely. so and that's a challenge. So it's interesting that there are these things that um, that are offered by public blockchains that could be challenging for enterprise that are kind of out there. Yeah. Um, I, I want to dive into a little bit of something you said really about... Um, the, the healthcare industry there. You mentioned other industries a few times. Financial services may have been the first to come along here, but what industries could really take advantage of this stuff that aren't financial services?
3: If you, if you define the um, application of the technology as being um, uh, valuable, where you have multiple entities involved in processing or maintaining a record of something of value, whether that be your money, securities, uh, records, titles, and insurance, uh, credentials, I- uh, identifying features, then you quickly realize that the, there aren't actually very many industries that don't have an application uh, for blockchain. Uh, because almost every industry has elements that, that fit that uh, description. Uh, so wherever there are multiple entities uh, or multiple different departments uh, involved in uh, keeping an important record straight and then orchestrating workflows around that, that is your recipe for a potentially uh, good use case uh, for a blockchain or DLT based system.
0: So it could almost be any industry that has those requirements, which sounds like almost any industry. Yeah, interesting stuff. Should, um, when we come back to the requirements, um, we talked a little bit about confidentiality. We talked a little bit about the stuff that, a, that an enterprise needs. Should enterprises be looking for open source software? Should they be looking for SDKs? What, what, what do they really need? And is there a trade-off between open source and, and not open source?
3: So uh, the question of open source uh, or not often gets, uh, gets uh, oversimplified. What you want when you're, uh, as an enterprise, you're buying uh, software, you want first, there's an inherent fear of vendor lock-in or uh, an inability to evolve your technology or address it when you're in a crisis without having to go back to the original source every time. And if there is a lack of uh, diversity of choice, if there's a lack of ability to develop your own uh, internal experts uh, in the technology, um, then that risk exists. The reality is, is that open source technology uh, can address uh, that uh, problem, but often it creates a challenged business model uh, for uh, a vendor. And What you often find is uh, a solution which is open source at its core, but then has a whole slew of additional services, which are those which are needed to deploy it uh, for enterprise, which are not open source at all and are, and are not available for free, and so you're, you're back to the original evaluation. The evaluation, at least that our customers make, is uh, are we confident that we are able uh, to control our own destiny sufficient uh, for the risk return balance to work? And an open SDK, which enables uh, the user not to depend on uh, just us as the developer of an application, but to train their own personnel and to then use that to integrate uh, with their multitude of other uh, systems by and large, is uh, what our customers have have, uh, have valued from our offering. So least. you can
0: end up in the same place without necessarily being open place. source. It might be harder to get the developer evangelism on one side, but on the other side, it's easier to package the, the enterprise um, kind of stuff you need.
3: And if you make the SDKs uh, open to a, a broad community of developers and don't necessarily charge for that, absolutely it's possible to get yes. that uh, community evangelism if, and only if, the product is offering something truly differentiated from that which is, you know, which is otherwise freely available. So, you
0: guys have done uh, a couple of things that you put into the public domain: the global synchronization log, the digital asset markup language. Give me the thirty-second version of what they are and why you think they're important.
3: They're, they're descriptors of uh, components of our technology. So, you, you can think of our technology as being uh, a, a platform uh, with a uh, fit-for-purpose, domain-specific. Uh, modeling language, uh, digital asset modeling language uh, that is used to create the business logic and orchestrate workflows on top of that uh, data platform. That data platform uh, can it uh, can be a uh, fully distributed uh, DLT or blockchain-like platform, in which case, uh, uh, I'll, come, I'll come back to that, or it could be a conventional uh, database uh, that now, is, that's interesting. So yeah. you've
0: got a, a language that could be used by a conventional database, but that describes financial agreements.
3: And and, and con- deliberately constrains what the developer uh, can uh, permit as an outcome of whatever it is uh, she's modeling, uh, in order that the kind of very high-profile mistakes uh, that we've seen occur uh, in the Ethereum world related to um Uh, incorrect uh, modeling using solidity and so on can occur. So, DAML is is intentionally constrained uh, to limit to a defined, knowable range of outcomes uh, that makes it much harder for the developer uh, to expose uh, a system to the unintended consequences that a much more general-purpose language uh, uh, can do.
0: It limits your attack surface. So, there's... um, been some headlines recently. Um, the Australian Stock Exchange, uh, an organization, uh, sorry, Securities Exchange, an organization you know quite well, um, have been working with you guys for quite some time to evaluate the possibility of moving their stack onto uh, distributed ledger-based uh, technologies in, in, in some form of what they do. They've announced that um, that may not happen in the very, very short term, the next 12 months. Can you update us in terms of you know, what's happening there and, and uh, you know, kind of, uh, your involvement in that process?
3: Yes, happy to. Um, So, slight correction, Um, ASX uh, made an announcement last uh, November, December time, that they have completed their evaluation of whether or not to replace CHESS, which is the post-trade infrastructure for Australian cash equities, with digital assets, DLT-based system. So that decision has been made, and they've followed that up with a series of consultation papers that have provided progressively more information about their plans, but not they're not the full and final version of that yet. They advertised a timeline uh, for when uh, they expected industry testing uh, uh, and other milestones all the way up to uh, uh, production date uh, that initially was a six month wide window that began at the uh, fourth quarter of 2020 and ended at the uh, first quarter of 2021. So the recent uh, refinement of that message, uh, which was in response to their customers' response to their most recent consultation paper, a very elaborate body of work, which is in the public domain, you you can all read it, it's online, Um, was to confirm that they would not go live before the end of that window. So they haven't delayed nor have they uh, changed their plans. But in response to to several things, uh, in particular, requests from their customers not to have a major system switch over a year end uh, period for obvious reasons Uh, and and also to permit sufficient time, not for the delivery of the technology by us and ASX, but for the integration work that is needed to be done uh, on the part of the industry, uh, in order to change their, uh, the way that they interact with ASX's uh, technology. Now, there will be an option for certain users to continue to interact with the new system the same way they did with the old, which is purely on a message basis. So think ISO 20022 messaging, um, fix, fix etc. And if you want to st- stick with that, you'll have that option. But it is those that are planning to adopt a node, which means that they are planning to much more fully integrate uh, with... uh the and that requires more changes to the way that they, uh, uh, that they operate their business. It's not just changes to technology, but their, their processes. There's upside in it for them because they're it's intending to avoid having to continue to reconcile their records with those of ASX. Uh, they're going to be able to essentially treat those as a common record that they are independent of ASX, independently able to validate um, but they don't have to keep them separately. And that requires more change than someone who's going to continue to inter- interact simply via messaging.
0: It's, it's interesting to me when we see things being taken very, very seriously by large organizations. Um, we also saw recently the announcement uh, by JP Morgan that uh, 75 banks are at least looking at or trialing their new uh, payments capability. Um, it's your old shop. Um, you know a little bit about the payments world as a result, I'm sure. Uh, talk to me about payments as a use case, because you guys haven't done much there. But um, do you find that's going to be an area of interest? It, you know, it was one of the big things when blockchain first came along, Bitcoin, and then um, the competitors like uh, Ripple and Stellar and others, everybody said, well, that's the end of the banks. know, Payments are going to go away um, from banks. It's going to end up being 100% distributed ledger. But actually, this movement by JP Morgan is pretty interesting.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I I described a tough decade for the banking system, uh, deserved uh, and otherwise. But the fact of the matter is that uh, banks are very technology-heavy businesses. And uh, payments is a core banking uh, capability. It links, importantly, to other aspects of the banking uh, relationship and revenue model. Uh, And it's always been my view uh, that uh, the competitive threat to banks uh, of blockchain or blockchain-like technology was very, very significant uh, and that the banks would um, embrace and adopt that technology rather than have that aspect of that that business model uh, decimated. And I think what J.P. Morgan is doing is pretty much a a, a very... I have no inside knowledge of of that, but it's pretty much an excellent example of that. History is littered with examples of institutions that have refused to change, because changing will cannibalize their existing business model. And those situations have resulted in the demise of some, some amazing franchises. I can't think of an example where an organization has knowingly, using technology or otherwise for that matter, uh, cannibalized an existing uh, a business model and, and failed. Because if they don't do it, someone else will do it. And, and the, the problem with payments is, is a woefully inefficient space. Uh, there are too many intermediaries. There are instances where the, co- the cost of a remittance exceeds the amount remitted by a lot. You know, you have people um, trying to get, you know, 99 cents right, a refund of this and costing them, you know, tens of dollars uh, or hundreds of dollars to achieve that when it comes to cross-border payments. So the banks realize this, it's an unsatisfying experience for their customers. They know that they have fierce competition uh, coming elsewhere, but banks have a lot to offer customers if you take the totality of the experience. And if banks solve this inefficiency in uh, the payment space, um, I believe they have a a moat. Uh, Their customers are sticky and loyal because they offer much more than simply payment services. So I think it, it's not that there will be no non-bank payment providers. Of course there will be. But will every bank in the payments business go out of business? Absolutely not. And will banking payments technology improve? Absolutely yes. And is it a coincidence that J.P. Morgan and 70 banks are trying to do it themselves using this technology? Not at all. It doesn't surprise me in the least bit.
0: It's exciting times. Where can people find out more about digital assets?
3: on uh, on the web at digitalasset.com
0: Lloyd well, Masters thank you very much for joining me
3: thank you thank you
0: Thank you very much to Blythe and, of course, all of the team at Digital Asset. Um, If you haven't listened to some of the interviews from our live show, go to to listen to episode 65, which had an exclusive interview with Dan Larimer and Brendan Blummer of EOS. Um, And episode 66 also had uh, the blockchain guys and a few other interesting folks as well. Uh, As a reminder, we're 11FS and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. We just announced uh, 11FS Foundry, uh, which is our core banking offering that allows you to strengthen your core as an organization how strong is your core okay so where can people find out more about you sarah
1: you can find me for now until i'm suspended on twitter at seronimo yeah. um, and if you want you can also add at Cleomatics. it's really fun because it comes into our community slack channel um, <laughs> also you can go to climatics.com, but better yet go to github.com forward slash climatics and contribute to our open source software
2: Ooh. Shared Throne. All right. And Hugh? Yeah, just go to our website, nexusmutual.io. A whole bunch of information there. And um, yeah email addresses and all the rest of it i'm also on twitter thank
0: you very much for being on the show you can find me at sy taylor on twitter um big thank you to the production team here at 11fs um slim down production team it's just producer petra this week um and michael bailey the editor uh who's on a day off but will edit this and get it to you in good time for thursday thank you for listening we'll have more blockchain insider next week goodbye for now